Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Let's talk about how do we avoid a hollow life. So once, upon a, once upon a time, there was a king, and this king had everything. He had wealth. He had as many sexual partners as one could ever even dream. Uh, he had as much uh, power as anyone could ever hope to want. He could literally just take anything that he wanted. He had military might. It was King Solomon. And he left us some notes. He left us some chronicles of his questions about, I wonder if there's a way just to leverage all pleasure. Is there a way to leverage all wisdom? Is there a way to leverage all my power so that I am the most satisfied? And what he finds out, and you can read it yourself in Ecclesiastes, is he keeps running into this dead end. He keeps finding out, actually, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have over other humans. It doesn't matter how many parks or gardens or buildings, anything that you try to build that would make your name kind of go on into time past you. It doesn't matter. It ends up being a puff of wind. It ends up being a chasing after the wind. Ultimately, it comes up empty. And the point of us studying King Solomon is actually to find out King Solomon is me. I don't have all his money. I don't have all his power. Thank God I don't have all his problems either. But um, King Solomon is you. There is something about each one of us that is believing the promises of the world, that if you just had X, if you just had Y, then, man, you take deep breath. Then you finally be happy. Then finally all things would come together for you. And it's not that X and Y aren't maybe even good things. Maybe they are, but if you found this to be true, it doesn't matter how much you get. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't, you can know that you're very blessed, and you can look around and still be like, yeah, but something, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's very full. And, and strangely, Jesus promised life to the full. He said, hey, man, um, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. But see, there's this other, there's this counterfeit version of that. And I'm not trying to dis it because I think you can mean it in a right way, but often the world doesn't mean it in the right way. The world pitches this, you can live your best life now. But what the world means when they say that is really Solomon-type things. It means you're enjoying all the stuff. You've got all the key relationships arranged just right. And finally, now you can be happy. But that best life now version is really not the same thing as the version Jesus was talking about. We started talking about the idea of a secret passage a few weeks ago. We found out that there might be another way. There might be a way through that is different than every other avenue that the world would tell us to take, and it leads to the good life. It leads to the ancient way. It leads to the most blessed life. But in order for us to go there, we want to talk about this week how we got to get past some things. we got to get past... Pretending? See, pretending with people will actually wear you out. Have you noticed this? When you're putting on airs, when you're trying to be something that you're really not, when you have to present a version of you that you're increasingly aware is, this isn't really resonating with who I actually am. Maybe pieces of it are, but pieces of it aren't. We begin to wear ourselves out, and it leads to a hollow life. We're filled with the pursuit 
of self. I don't mean taking care of yourself. I mean we decide, you know what, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to arrange life just so, so that I am achieving maximum happiness. And dear heart, precious, it's already been done. And it didn't work out for Solomon, and it's not going to work out for us. If we can recognize that those are pitfalls and traps, if we can recognize that those are going to actually lead to decreasing joy, then we might be able to find the ancient way. Because here's the truth. God did not make us to be the center of our universes. We're really good when he's the center of the universe. But when we, when we slip into this counterfeit best life now thinking and try to make ourselves the meaning and the purpose, we can't find meaning and purpose by looking at ourselves for very long. We can look at ourselves to make sure, you know, hey man, I got food and shelter and like I'm, I'm on my way. But we were made to look at God to find our meaning and for life to be full and not empty. Think about, if you, if you look at the angels in the book of Revelation, we see these angels and they're flying, they're hovering in front of God's presence and they're covering their eyes and they're covering their feet and they are in the grip of God's glory, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you know what is strange to me? They don't seem bored at all. They're captivated with the glory of God. And when you think about even the demons, the fallen angels, the ones that fell, you, you could make the case that their primary first problem was looking at self rather than beholding him who is eternally beautiful and glorious. I want to I let you in a little secret. It's right here in the Bible. In case you ever wondered this question, I wonder what my purpose is. I don't mean your unique purpose necessarily yet. I just mean the purpose of humans. Here is, God actually tells us what the purpose of humans is. Isaiah 43, 7 says, They're my own people, and I created them to bring me glory. That's why God created you. That's why he created me. That's why he created all people. And to bring him glory means to assign him weight, to, to demonstrate his significance, to show everybody that he's the weightiest, most important thing. And when we are just naturally who we're supposed to be, we bring God glory. I read Rick Warren said it once like this, when an ant does what an ant's supposed to do, it brings God glory as an ant. You can make the case with anything. When a tree does what a tree is supposed to do, it brings God glory as a tree because it says, yes, I'm fulfilling my purpose before God. When a cat is a cat, I don't know if they can do it. No, they can do it too. Cats can do it too. They bring God glory just by being what they're supposed to be. And we bring God glory. And we have a, a virtually endless amount of ways we can bring God glory. See, bringing God glory isn't just singing the songs like we just did. It's anything that we do as worship unto God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. To keep God central, to demonstrate his weight and his awesomeness and his beauty and his perfection and his centrality. That's how we bring God glory. So, so we've been looking at this foundation scripture for the past few weeks, Jeremiah 6, 16. Let's just review it again because it's so good. How many want to review this scripture again? Let's just do it again. Here we go. This is what the Lord says, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient path. Stop, look for it, and ask, oh God, show me the ancient path. Remember, we imagined ourselves in a field, and there's two roads that kind of diverge this way, but then kind of in the weeds there, we can see this ancient, underneath all the overgrowth, there's this other path that was forgotten about, that people neglected. And he says, where the good way is, 
and walk in it. And then you will find a resting place for your souls. Then you'll have the real deal of a best life now. And then you'll have life to the fullest. You crowd for God's ways and you give yourself to God's ways. And then last week, remember we talked about um, there's, there's, there was an ancient path described in the book of Acts. It was actually later than Jeremiah, but it's still an ancient way to us and it's the good way and it's the right way. As the church started, there was this way that the early church found. It was koinonia. Koinonia with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and koinonia with one another. And it was an ancient path and we learned a lot about how to do this community and it's almost like a reversal of the initial curse whereas the Tower of Babel kind of separated us now in the church everybody was being brought back together and we're going to look to them again for more ancient ways of how to avoid emptiness because we said if they were to come here if they could somehow travel in time and find us They might look at the church and say, you know, from a community perspective and sometimes even maybe from a worship perspective, the 21st century church is virtually unrecognizable to the first church. And here's what we're going to find. Here's going to be the conclusion. It's the bottom line. The cure for a hollow soul is authentic, reverent worship. The cure for a hollow soul, when nothing else seems to fill, the reason is we're putting in the wrong things first. The cure for a hollow soul is authentic, reverent worship. Let's just read it again. Here we go. Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, they've been gripped by the message of Jesus Christ, who justifies wicked people, who takes all of our sin and throws it into the ocean of forgetfulness and just says, yeah, I'm just going to pay for it. I'm just going to take your sin and give you my righteousness and invite you into my heavenly home. I'm going to do life with you, and then I'm going to be with you forever. And they were gripped by this, and so here's what they're doing. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common and sell their property and possessions and share them with all. To the extent that anyone had need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's talk about the blessed way that hedges against hollowness by, number one, relating to God in authenticity. <clears throat> relating to God in authenticity. Do you see that there right at the end? They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They had sincerity of heart. They weren't faking anything. Man, that's some good, real relationship. That's some real fellowship. We're talking about worshiping God, but we're talking about worshiping God in the context of other people. Man, you know it's real. You know it's good. You know that it's life to the full when you don't have to pretend anymore. When you're not trying to hide anything, you're not, you're, you're not like, oh man, I hope they don't find out X. Because everybody in the room knows we're all just forgiven sinners. Everybody, man, everybody, it's, it's level playing field at the, at the cross. Everybody knows that nobody deserves to be here. So you don't have to hide. You don't have to run away in shame anymore. For us to avoid a hollow life, we got to find the secret passage. we got to take the ancient pathway back to the place where we rediscover God wants me to worship God as me, as I actually am, not religious me, not a different me, not a me that has to pretend, that has to say the right thing, that has to dress the right way. God actually likes you. You believe that? 
He actually likes you, not like the you you show everybody, you you. The you that is really down in there. So all the stuff that you like, but even the stuff that you don't like, the stuff that you're afraid somebody would ever know, the stuff that you kind of try to censor, the stuff that you don't want anyone to see, God not only knows about it, he likes you that way. He could have made you any other way. He didn't make you that way. He made you the way that he wanted you to be. He didn't make us to be not us. He made us to be us. And he wants our worship to flow out of a place where we're being us. See, when we detach our inner life from who we're presenting to the rest of the world, we start to get a little bit of like emotional, spiritual vertigo. Like things are, now they're a little bit confusing and cockeyed and we're not even sure if we're walking straight at some point. I, I, I'm not supposed to be me plus the me that I show everyone else. In God's version of community, in God's wor- version of fellowship, in God's w- version of the ancient way, everybody just gets to be them. God likes us. God wants a personal relationship with you. With you. And he wants you to worship from being you. Think about the way that Jesus talked about the Father. Okay, so when Jesus showed up, it's not that people didn't understand God as Father, but Jesus emphasized that, and he put it right at the front. He said, no, this is the way I want you to pray. Our Father. He says, you guys are aware that he's your creator, but I'm inviting you into a deeper relationship where he is Father, meaning he's more affectionate about you than anybody anywhere. God is affectionate about you as is and wants your worship to flow out of that. Listen to how Jesus explains it to the woman at the well. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who worship him that way. Now, in spirit means with the help of the Holy Spirit. And in truth means according to the pattern of God's word. But it also just means truly, authentically, as from who you actually are. He doesn't want you to pretend to be religious. He doesn't need you to get to a certain place before you begin to respond to him in worship as your father. What is he saying? He's saying, hey man, let's just not do this thing where you try to impress me. Let's just not do this thing where you need to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. In fact, let's not even worry about it all, what other people think. You don't need to worry about what other people think. Most of us are pretty bad at knowing what other people think anyway, so, you know, there's people that really think the world of you and you think they don't like you and there's other people that don't even like you and they pretend to. So you don't even know, okay? God says, get over all that. Don't worry about that. Worry about responding in authenticity to me as you worship me. So this can be hard to do because, you know, spiritual environments are different depending kind of what environment you were born into, where you first started going to church, <clears throat> where you went after that. There's just different values within any spiritual community that kind of like bubble to the top and is, okay, am I supposed to do this or not? So I was born again into a very demonstrative worship environment, meaning when I was 18, I came to know Christ and asked to be my king and forgiver. And the people around me, they were very, they were just, it was loud church. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like loud, okay? It seemed almost like it kind of looked like a funny skit on, you know, sometimes to me in, in, in my mind, okay? So people not only shout and, and 
you know, not, not, so nothing wrong with any of this. I'm just telling you how it hit me, okay? So people would shout, raise their hands. Yeah, so there's that kind of like normal stuff. And then people just start running around the room, okay? And then people not only would sometimes lay on the floor, but it became a contest almost in the room. Like, who could lay on the floor the longest, okay? So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, no one is saying this, but this is a clear value and a clear demonstration of how spiritual you are, all right? So, so I'm watching this. I'm like, is that... God, is that how you want me to respond to you? Is that right? Or is it different? Because then I'd walk into other church environments, and man, if you said anything out loud, people, like 12 people turn around and be like, what did you say? You know, it, it was like, it was frightening how still and, and silent it was. And so you're looking at this, you're like, I don't know which, which one is right. Well, Jesus tells us which one is right. I want, the Father's looking for worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. So, that's the journey that each of us are on. And it took a while for me to kind of figure out what is true for me and what is just like, hey, that's great for them, but it's not right for me. See, church, we got to get this down. Everybody doesn't have to act the same way. Everybody doesn't have to worship God even in the same way. What's authentic for one might not be authentic for the other one, and we've just got to be able to wrestle that down. So you'll notice, I mean, even now, there are times, okay, just to kind of tell you how it goes in here, there are times I'm sitting down where I usually sit, all right, and we'll be worshiping. And I, and I often, like for me, it's very normative and worshipful to have my hands in the air. That's just, that's me. Maybe that's not you. And from time to time, dude, I will just shout. Like it'll hit me and I'm like, hey, you know, and I'll, you'll hear, if you hear that, that might be me, okay? And, and, but it's kind of few and far between. It's not all the time. It's not every Sunday. You know, it's just something hits in the anointing and I just, ah, you know, it just, just kind of comes out. But I don't want to run, you know. I don't want to run. Running, hey, if you run, you know, everybody watch out for a runner, but, you know, we'll remove that camera or whatever. But, um, you know, hey, okay. That's just not spirit and truth for me. Now, some of you, you know, you don't want to holler or shout, and that's totally fine. You don't have to. But take some time to discover what is right for Jesus and me. It doesn't have to be what's right for everybody else. That makes sense? You just have freedom, and it takes time to figure that thing out. So take your time because Jesus wants our relationship to be characterized by a certain level of casualness. Okay? Meaning, hey man, it's all, everybody just calm down. Yes, he's a holy, awesome, beautiful, perfect, righteous God, but we can honor him as that and not be on edge. Do you know what I'm saying? We can still have um, the sense of this is my daddy and this is just fine. Now, I would encourage you to test some things out, man, try it. Don't assume where you are is the only place God wants you to grow. See, that's the other side of it. Yes, you get to be you, but also consider there might be exposure to other things makes you grow in something that actually is you. So when Kenzie and I first got married, she didn't know anything about comic books. Okay, I'd grown up reading comic books. So when the MCU was finally invented in 2008, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this blew my mind. I was like, I never thought I'd see the day, okay, that I'm watching Iron Man on screen like this and then everybody else in the Avengers... And my wife didn't really get it, but because of her exposure to me, she was like, okay, yeah. She didn't say it like that. I get it. You know, she, liked, she likes the MCU now, all right? Now, there were other things that I liked that she never liked. She still doesn't like technology, okay? Like, when I hear about new tech, like, I start to salivate a little bit. When my wife hears about it, she gets afraid, okay? She doesn't, want to, she doesn't like what she's got, much less what's coming. Give her a piece of paper and a pencil. Like, that's what she wants. So the point is, when you get around people, you try some of their things, and some of them you like. Like, ah, I can do that. Maybe I could, 
raise my hands or shout or, or something like that. And other times you're like, you know, it's not for me. I love them, but it's not for me. That's not how I run. God wants all of us to be characterized by an authentic expression of worship that is very us and also very loving toward everybody else within the body of Christ. How many think that's true? Yeah, it's pretty good. Now, let me give you a little bit of a warning, okay, because this this gets janky a little bit here. In our generation, one of the highest values, rightly most of the time, is authenticity. So as long as you're being authentic, do whatever you want, and that's good. And that's not really the way it is in the Bible, okay? Yes, be authentic, but don't use authenticity as an excuse to be evil, okay? Don't use authenticity. Okay, so in other words, if you're just like, man, look, uh, this person's really bugging me, and I've got to gossip about him just to get it out. Um, yeah, how about not? How about instead recognize the thing in me that wants to slander and wants to gossip is evil, and it's a thing that needs taken to the cross, not vented, all right? So we take that to Jesus, and we repent for it. We say, this is it. yes, it's authentic, but it's also authentically wrong. This is the thing that put Jesus on the cross. So I'm going to say, God, I don't like this. You know, we're not going to have a trip about it. We're just, God, I don't like this. This isn't good. Please forgive me. Help me have less of these emotions. I am having a hard time with them, but I'm not going to use my mouth as a weapon and make their name unsafe in my mouth. Anybody hear that? So authenticity is good as long as we're still pursuing holiness in Christ. <clears throat> now, we get to be us. That's really good. Here's what else we got to know, though. Everybody else gets to be them. See, if you get to be you authentically before the Lord, everybody else gets to be them, and everybody else isn't like you and me, and so they're going to do what they want, how they want, and they get to do it, um, and they're going to make mistakes and sin, but they get to do it no matter what they do, and we're going to see what, how we respond to that in, in the next point, but they get to be them, and this can be confusing because you can wonder sometimes, first, especially when you first start walking with Jesus, you can wonder like, I wondered this, maybe, I don't know if you did or not, but I began to wonder, what is just me, and what is supposed to be normative Christianity? I mean, I mean the Spirit of God comes upon you when you first start following Christ. And he just helps you start doing some versions of obedience and starts convicting you about certain things that are sin. And so you can wonder, okay, what is like God empowering a strength that is uniquely mine? And what is something he wants everybody to be doing? So I discovered, you know, early on, hey man, I really like to study like God's word. I can spend a better part of a day. It's like, hey man, I can, I can be with somebody for like an hour or two. Okay, and I love everybody, but I've just got I've got a low tolerance for being with like people just they just drink it right out of me. Okay, doesn't mean I don't love you. Just, hey, it's just how I am, and y'all are required to love me. Okay, so that's how I am. And I, but I, I'm like, is that normal? What is normal? Because then I'd see real extroverted people, man. They just go around and around. Energizer Bunny, if you remember him, just for hours and hours, and they're they're gaining power as they do this. I found that it was really easy for me to. It's easy for me to spend time with God. Now, I had to learn to be careful about that because I can make somebody feel really, like, down about themselves. I'll go spend three hours with God like nothing. And somebody's like, I can't spend three minutes with him a day. And, and so people have, we have different strengths. And we need to learn what's a strength for me might not be a strength for you. And I want to be encouraging to you, but I can't hold you to 
something that isn't authentically what God placed under the hood in you. Because here's, here's what God does. God gives everybody different measures. God gives everybody different measures. Everybody didn't get all your strengths, and you didn't get everybody else's strength. And some call it gift projection. When I'm expecting other people to act like what is a strength for me, forgetting that I'm only good at this or strong at this because God made me so, then I'm putting a terrible burden on the rest of my brothers and sisters. So why don't you go ahead and, and um, air fist bump somebody say, I get to be me. Praise God, I get to be me. I get to be me, baby. Now, what, how we want to respond to one another in that authenticity is build one another up. So when you see somebody doing something strong, instead of feel bad about it, you say, Man, I'm so encouraged and blessed that that is authentic to you. So if you do run around the auditorium, as long as you're not hurting anybody or tripping, I'm going to celebrate that. You know, or whatever you're doing, as long as it's not distracting, I'm going to be like, hey, praise God for you, you get to do that. I've seen people, like I put on social media, hey, we need, somebody's got COVID and they need groceries, can somebody run it over? And in three minutes, I get a response, I'm on that. Now, I'm sure they had just as much to do that day as I did, but they were so excited to be the hands and feet of Jesus, they ran out to the store and they got them some stuff and they brought them, you know how encouraging that is to me? Like, that's just amazing. We've got to be able to say that to one another. When you did that, man, wow, that, that rocked my walk. Like, that was a good version of a challenge for me. I love your strength. I don't naturally have it, but it calls me up. It improves me just to see it happening. And then we've got to, now if we're going to do the positive, we've got to do the negative. We've got to authentically be able to confess sin to one another. And the deeper the sin, the fewer people you want to let in on that. Okay? So let's check it out. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. No question, Jesus is your high priest. You can just confess directly to Jesus. You don't need a go-between, but there is something powerful with one or two, maybe three, people that know you so well that you can say, hey, man, I'm really wrestling with this. And you know Jesus forgives you, but to have somebody else stand in that place, and say, I know you, and I know that this is not the best you, but I know God is at work in you. I know he loves you, and you are forgiven in Jesus' name. To have somebody say that to you, I mean, many of you know the power of that. You know how power it is? You feel like, I knew Jesus forgave me anyway, but man, you doing it felt like it was Jesus saying it. So we need to have a few people. Now, just remember, you don't want to throw your pearls before anybody you don't know necessarily, you know, so... so so don't in front of 12 people just lob out something huge and expect everyone to like, you know, come give you a big hug. Uh, but you do need a few people that will come give you a big hug. And we need to be that for one another. So when someone confesses to you, that should be your response. Hey, man, I'm just so glad you told me. Thank you. I love you. I believe in you. I know you wouldn't even have wanted to confess that if the Spirit of God were not at work in you. In Jesus' name, you are forgiven. And if we can develop a church family that is so confident in one another's forgiveness, do you know how strong we're going to be? you know how amazing that's going to be? Because the devil deals in secrets. The devil wants us hiding everything. He wants, hey man, just keep it out of the light. The problem is we all stay weak. And so God challenges us, hey, if you, if you want to authentically worship me, grow in your capacity to be authentic with one another. Take steps. They're going to challenge that in you. And he says, they were taking their meals together with gladness. 
and sincerity of heart. Well, wouldn't you be glad? Wouldn't you be glad if you were like, I'm among a family that I can tell them pretty much anything, and I know they're going to restore me. I know they're going to forgive me. I know it's okay to make mistakes, and I know it can be authentically me, and God loves the actual me, not the me I pretend to be. I mean, isn't that the kind of community everyone in the universe is looking for? That's what we have the opportunity to do. So the cure for a hollow soul is authentic Reverent worship, the blessed way, hedges against hollowness by, number one, relating to God in authenticity, and number two, relating to God in reverence. Relating to God in reverence. We're going to avoid hollowness when we remember my highest pleasure is actually going to come from making God's glory my primary aim, which means not only that I get to be authentic, but I constantly get to be synchronizing myself with, guess what? God's word, because God's word, if I do God's word, it will bring him glory as well as keep me on the secret passage on the ancient path. And if I don't, if I put myself at the center of my life, if I make me the most important thing, what's going to happen is my joy is going to decompose and it's going to implode and it's going to become terminal because I'm not supposed to be at the center of the universe. Everyone had this sense of awe. Each person had a reverence of soul. Each person had a deference to how huge and awesome and big and wonderful God was. Each person was on a strict diet of, I need to be conforming myself to the truth of God. Here's what I found out. I'm I'm going to see if I can do this the sweetest way possible and sound like I'm building bridges. Let's, Let's try it. You want to be careful. Let me just say it this way. I need, like you do, I need a good, like, encouraging, practical how-to sermon. And I need it with some regularity. You know, life is hard. The Bible has lots of good answers. And I need to hear what those answers are of how to do stuff. What we want to be careful of is a steady diet of always how-to, or here's something practical, here's, you know, seven ways to pull X off, or whatever that is. want to be careful that we're not getting a very weak, only helper version of Jesus. Jesus is our helper. That's what he is. But he's so much more than just our helper. He is God of very God. You want an awesome Jesus that makes you tremble. You don't want buddy Jesus. You don't want Jesus as, oh, I'm just here to help. Give me a little background. You can do it. Hey, Jesus will comfort you. And Jesus will tell you that you can do it. But baby, Jesus is a roaring lion. Jesus is God. And we need to be constantly knowing this God and who he is and his power and his awesomeness because you're going to get in real trouble and your soul is going to find out just like mine. Eventually, we're going to find out, um, I'm, I'm, I can't worship myself. I can't keep myself here at the center. I jack stuff up all the time. If you just pay attention to your life, dude, I mean, seriously, man, unless you're ridiculously blinded by, blinded by pride, you do stupid crap all the time. Hello? Are you watching? Like, aren't you aware of like, oh, that was dumb. Ah, oh, I can't believe. Or maybe you're like, everybody else is a jerk. Dear heart, if everyone's a jerk, fill in the blank. Yeah. We aren't enough. We need a God that is greater. We need a God that is ultimate. And that is what Jesus is. And if we're going to worship him as he truly is, we're going to have to have reverence for who he reveals himself to be in his word. 
We have to constantly be coming back to what is God saying about himself. Or, honestly, man, we're just going to have weak Christians. Listen, Jesus said this about this very topic, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how terrible would that darkness be? He's saying, if you think you have the light, but you actually have darkness, dude, you're worse than somebody that never thought they had anything. If you think you've got a flashlight, but all it shows you is lies and illusions, honey, get rid of the flashlight. He says, if you think you understand God and you're operating by that understanding, but it's actually getting off over time because you're neglecting God's word, man, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to bump into some stuff. So if you want to worship God rightly and enjoy the real full life, you've got to keep reverencing God according to his word. So this is kind of like the opposite of the previous point. Yes, let's be confident in God's fellowship. Let's be confident in the fact that he is a loving, awesome father, and he's the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe and every breath that I take. He is he's beyond comprehension, and this is the God that we know. This is why we've introduced, again, these catechism little nuggets, because we just want to keep sharpening and refining our thinking about just how big and how huge God is. Let's take a look at this week's catechism question number two. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. As we meditate, this is just encapsulated teaching of scripture. This isn't addition to scripture. This is just boiling it down. This is what scripture says about your God. What is he? He's all those things. And as I meditate on it, my thinking gets sharper and my worship to him becomes more reverential and more pure because I'm worshiping really in truth according to who he is. And it's so important that we keep God in that place of ultimate power so that I'm not competing with him for who's in charge. Okay, so I got two cute dogs, Chesterton and Max. Let's see if we can see some pictures of Chesterton and Max. Man, they're cute. They're cute as all get out. Um, And they're wonderful additions to our family. But I'll tell you, if we were to put them as the center of our family, meaning what they wanted was always the priority, okay? They're just, dude, they're not very smart, okay? Like, what they want to do all day is eat food, okay? And, like, take a leak in different places and run around and chase, like, a ball rope, okay? And, you know all the rest. That's what they would want to do. If, if, if we had to like follow their lead as a family, they would just arrange the day. We'd be out of food in a day. All right. Like they just make dog wisdom level decisions that would totally shipwreck the family. If instead we take into account what they want, but we also are led by the wisdom of Kenzie and I, the whole family prospers. Okay. There's human flourishing in the family. If they're in charge, the whole thing falls apart. I know it's kind of a weird illustration, but in the same way, God says, if we put you humans in the family, now, just to clarify, we're closer in intelligence to dogs than we are to God, okay? So God says, if we put you guys in charge of what the family, the greater, you know, humankind and church family does, everything's going to implode and (laughs) spring into chaos, meaning God is all wise And God knows what to do. And when God says, I want you to think about me like this, it's because it's what's best for everybody. When God says, I want you to do this and not do this, God says, it's because it's what's best 
for everybody. And you're, I'm not saying you're a dog, but I'm saying, oh, you don't have the wisdom. You don't have the wisdom to contradict God. God is just right. And so he needs to be reverenced. So he says, I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to put on a show, but I want you just to reverence me. Here's a, here's a solo way for you to do this. I want to give you a, a tool in God's word. As you go into your Bible, maybe it's an app, maybe it's an actual Bible, as you're reading the New Testament, maybe you're reading some narratives, I want to give you a category to write down. Just write down what God is like. Every time you see him say something about himself, let it reorient orient you to, this is what God is like. The world says God or gods or whatever is something else. God says, I am like this. I'll give you an example from my own study. So I've done this for years, and I've got it in different notes and literally written in the pages. But one of the categories I would use is what God is like. And on First uh, Samuel 6, 7, 16, 7, I just wrote what God is like. God knows all hearts. Jesus does not need human help to evaluate men. Now, that doesn't sound very deep, but it's just, it's a, it's a morsel to chew on and review. So no matter what I'm dealing with with anybody, I know God knows their heart. And God knows my heart. And God knows who's right or wrong. And Jesus doesn't need me to inform him anything. Jesus doesn't, mean, need, doesn't need me to be grumpy about anything. Jesus knows all hearts. And it reorients me to, Carter, I know in your little world, like you have drama and things you want to solve, but God, somebody say, but God. But God knows all hearts. God knows everything there is to know about the situation, and he's on the case. Can you give him some time, please, to deal with this case? Just a little tool. Personally. Now let's talk about interpersonally because we're in a community. Here's how this looks. From time to time, as people are authentically themselves, they're going to do something that is like, ah, that's not really God's way. Is it? That's not really God's way. I think I better say something about that. I think I owe it to them to just point it out. Now, for people that are trying to grow in their Christ-like character, I would just point out the more you're around Christian community, the better. The more immersed you are, the better. Here's why linguists tell us that if you're trying to learn a second language, the smartest thing you can do is put yourself in a context where you can't speak the first language because everybody only speaks the second language. And if you're forced into that, you will begin to speak with much more fluency that language. If you are all day around people that don't love God's ways, you may not be able to do anything about that because maybe that's where you work. But if you will then increase your amount of time around people that do love God's ways, you're going to sharpen one another and you're going to see where another needs to grow. And you may be called upon at some point to say, hey, I noticed something. I love you. I love that you're you. I love that you're authentically new. But I did notice that sometimes you kind of act like Mr. Crab. You're kind of like the Krabby Patty. You're kind of like, the way you said that or the way you're talking, you just seem to, are you aware that you do that? Like, if you're aware, let's talk about that. But I just want you to know, maybe you're not aware. But if you are, and here's what we say, how do you think Jesus feels about that? What do you think Jesus thinks? And you are demonstrating a loving community that holds one another accountable without condemnation. Now, you don't say, you fool. That's not how you start any conversation. You say, hey, man, I make a lot of mistakes. Maybe you want to know something that looks weird to me. And then if they say, well, I don't think you're right. You say, okay, well, I just want to, I, I'm not your God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
And we need a whole sermon called, I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to convict anybody, to get anybody to do anything. But it is our job as brothers and sisters to say, I noticed. What do you think Jesus thinks about that? And then if they say, well, I think you're wrong, you say, okay, well, thanks for allowing me to let you know. I don't necessarily agree that I'm wrong, but let's just both pray about it together and we'll all be on our merry way. That is what we need in this church. That's what we need people with the freedom to be able to say. So I'm just telling you, the Bible gives you that freedom. Let's take that freedom. Because why? What does God want us to do? And he wants us to avoid hollowness by worshiping him in authenticity, but also in great reverence of soul. Can you imagine who we would be? Would you imagine the smile that would put on any guest's face to see, here's a people, man. They are 100% them, but they're 100% worshiping God as he actually is. And that'd be a sign and a wonder of the rest of the world. And that's the secret passage. Let's pray. God, I feel like there may have been different places where you spoke to different ones. And I pray that whatever those are, I pray that's the thing that they would cling to. I pray that's the thing that you would keep in their remembrance. I pray it would be easy to meditate on that and stew on that and ruminate on that thing. God, we admit our failures. We admit that we're all Solomon sometimes and we're looking elsewhere instead of to you. Would you give us greater freedom and authenticity and then greater reverence for who you actually are and help us to bless and celebrate one another in those things. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcasts from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.